Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. My name is Jimmy Sabo and I'm here thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA and the Footy Live app. Make sure you download that Footy Live app today. And once again, we're in lockdown. Uh, so unfortunately, out of the studio again this week. So if I'm sounding a bit dodgy, it's uh, because I've been on the beers too much. It's a tough time here in lockdown. But I'm hoping that another pod cheers everyone up. And the rundown today has definitely cheered me up. We've got an awesome guest lined up. It is Razor Ray Chamberlain, who is an absolute legend. And I don't care uh, what you think about his umpiring. He's a great character for the game. And if, if your perception has not not changed about him after this interview, let me know because I'd be very, very surprised. Uh, I'll ask him about his umpiring, uh, what the gig is like behind the scenes, uh, the greatest cover-up story of all time, what motivates him to be booed every week, and who the biggest sledger of all time is. We'll cover all of that and even more. Uh, Speaking of sledgers, Nick Uliamino, who has not stopped ripping into me about Richmond, and probably rightly so, uh, will be back on the Monday Review panel on a Wednesday alongside Gordon Meredith, who, after a week off, is as ready as I've ever seen him. I can't wait to chat to them. But they'll probably give me a lot about my confidence in Richmond this season. And and they're right. I was a little bit uh, too carried away with the Tigers and had too much faith I uh, thought they'd turn it around and go for it again, but they didn't. They won't play finals, which does mean we are going to have a new premier this year. Uh, not in Victoria, though, which which some aren't too happy about. Uh, but while Dan has closed the playgrounds for the time being, we are opening up the podcast version of ours with no curfew, no restrictions. It's the gym session. We're talking to Razor Ray now. Sit back, open your ears, and enjoy. Yes, Jimmy! I'll give you the last word, mate. If you could throw it back to Haim up in the commentary box, please. Haim, saw you before the game, mate. Hair's looking magnificent as always. Well played, sir. (laughs) Okay, today's guest is one of the biggest characters of our great game of Aussie Rules football. With a warm personality and ability to relate to others and a confident persona, this man has added a profile in theatre to the art of umpiring never before seen. His commitment to officiating has seen him notch up over 350 AFL games, 29 finals and three grand finals since his debut back in 2004. Off the field, he's a motivational speaker, mortgage broker, business owner and a great bloke. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome the one and only Mr. Razor Ray Chamberlain to the gym session. Welcome, Ray. Hey, James. Thank you. That's a, that's a heavy intro. I'm nervous now. <laughs> no, no, well, just to make you feel at home, mate, I'll give you this. Boom. Oh, that's better. But now you that's feel better? It. Yeah. How, no, how does that feel, gonna... mate? Every week you, you, you're hated by people disliked. How do you deal with that? It's bizarre. Yeah. Um, it, it's a good question, um, depending on how heavy you want to get. Yeah. Um, there's lots of ways of looking at it, right? So what did Kobe say? No one hates on good, right? They only, they only hate on great. And then the other, <laughs> the other side of it also is, you know, if, you're not, if you don't have any haters, you're probably not doing anything. There's a little bit of that to yeah, it. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And then if, you know, we just sort of narrow it down to sport, and I love sport, you know, all things sport, 
um, and always have ever since I was just a kid, you know, whether it was athletics, cricket, footy, soccer, touch rugby, like whatever it was, like I was into it, you know, tennis. I was, I loved it, swimming. Um, I just loved participating and competing in sport. And uh, and so then, you know, I follow teams, um, you know, whether that be in the NRL or the NFL or whatever. And so, you know, you're watching games and I'm Joe Public. I, I'm just yeah. got my fan head on and I'm going off and, <laughs> you know, it's all the same. So what I understand, yeah. that, and I don't, uh, I don't have any hate or vitriol towards any individual. So mm. what I understand that the vast majority of people share that same energy. So yeah. um, what I, 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 so I've grown to understand and contextualize actually what that noise is. And quite frankly, over the last two years, James, I've sorely missed it. Not so much the directed <laughs> yeah. energy at an individual in a weird green shirt, but yeah. rather, but rather what makes elite sports so fabulous. And that, that's the masses, yeah. Mm. Oh, I miss that so much. Mm, I can imagine. It's a great perspective you have. But I was interested in you personally because you have a huge profile. Even the other day, you're on the TV and I said to my missus, oh, I'm interviewing this bloke oh, next week. Wow. And she goes, oh, isn't that the guy you yell at every week? I said, <laughs> no, 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 only when Richmond's playing. But, no, it just proves <laughs> – you know why it seems like it's you is because you're Razor Ray. So every time you pop up, we'll say, oh, come on, Razor, what are you doing? The other umpires don't have that profile. So it seems like we pick on you more. How do you deal with that profile? Because it used to affect you a little bit more, didn't it? Yeah, very much so. When I was younger, um, I remember I'd never done any media or anything. It wasn't something yeah. that I sought out. I, I wanted nothing to do with that. I just yeah. earnestly, desperately wanted to umpire well. I wanted to be really good at what I did mm. um and i remember it was 2007 and i remember this vividly yeah. and jeff geishan who was my boss's boss at the time he was in me to do some of this stuff yeah and i was like i don't want to do anything to do with it mate like i'm not up for it and he he was really good. I really I really respect and um, admire Jeff for many many reasons. He's a really supportive man um, and worked very hard for us. Um, and he said, "Look, mate, they're going to be talking regardless, right? So at, at least this way you get to at least put your spin on it, your yeah. view on it." Um, and basically, he said, "I'm doing it. You're doing it, right?" So <laughs> <laughs> that talk went well. Yeah. So. It was St Kilda played Collingwood at the MCG and it was the 7th of the 7th, 2007, right? Uh, So I do this interview on Triple M and I knew, you know, that what that was going to be and I dropped a silly line. I said something along the lines of, you know, potentially that the dingo had taken the wrong Chamberlain. (laughs) That's right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they lost it. (laughs) Gary um, Lyon lost it especially. He he lost it. And and I was just being me, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because it was that type of thing. And and so essentially with these things too, James, um, you know, A, uh, you can't take the cordial out of the water, right? So, So once something's rolling, you know, kind of that's it. But in advance of that, I had not had any say in it. And I don't think it's that big a deal. See, and I'm going in a really long-winded way of answering your question. No, it's right? good. I like this. But we'll, but we'll get there. Yeah. So back in the day, right, umpiring, are you familiar with Braveheart? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So William Wallace rolls into town, okay, and he's going to see Robert the Bruce. Yeah. 
right? And he lobs up, he gets off his horse, he ties it up and lobs in. He comes into Robert's place and uh, Robert, the Bruce's old man, do you remember him? He's like got leprosy or something. He's got yeah, yeah. He's hanging off and he's tucked behind yeah. a curtain. That's umpiring, yeah. right? right? <laughs> that was that was umpiring in yeah. AFL football, right? Where Robert, the Bruce's old man, mm-hmm. behind the curtain, yep, we've got to feed it. It's here, but we really don't want it in front yep. of house, right? Yep. yep. And, I, and, and that's fine. And that's our view. And then over my 20 years in sport and Australian rules football, I think we can all appreciate that it's changed. The world's changed. Content, access, entertainment, advertising dollars, et cetera, et cetera. In addition to that, participation rates are through the roof. Mm-hmm. You see AFLW and girls' participation at community level just exponentially growing, and it's fantastic for the game, yep. and it's fantastic for um, sport and communities in general. But then what happens, James, is that a greater emphasis and need falls upon an area that was already losing and has been for 150 years, and that is our levels of officials mm. and our retention of officials. So if we all start with the premise, James, that we love the game, okay, let's make that assumption. How often do you hear, oh, I just love it. I love the game, mate. Yeah, okay. What well, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Well, my colleagues don't love the game. Imagine how much you must love the game to front up and be an umpire. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And just cop it from everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And so for 150 years, we haven't been able to recruit enough and retain enough. And we've put them behind the curtain and treated them like Robert the Bruce's old man. Yeah. I reckon we might need to do something a little different. Yeah. So when it comes to me and your initial question, Originally, that focus that came on me, I didn't seek it. Um, and then I had two years out of the game, or it was a year and a half, where I had a knee injury. And I didn't think I, they sort of didn't think I'd come back and be able to umpire AFL footy. And what became really clear to me is despite all that noise and whatever, I desperately missed the game and I really loved it. So I made a decision that when I came back, rather than trying to fight it and ignore it, I would embrace it. I would try and find the positive in it and I would try and use it um, for good for my brethren, umpiring in general, and in any other way that I could. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially been the journey around that. Yeah, no, that, that's a good explanation. That profile you're saying, because you you fronting up, it makes you more relatable. Um, and, and you kind of, like you said before, they were behind the curtain. Now you're, you're front of mind, you're in front of the camera. Does that attract more umpires to the game at a lower level as well because of that? Because you you speaking out about these things and going around doing the motivational speaking as well? We'll be back after a quick break. Maybe indirectly, I think 
the game itself is awesome. And umpiring is great. Like if you can get rid of just some of the negative connotation that relates to what comes with umpiring, and we're just talking about negative feedback or whatever, and particularly in junior sport, right? we're talking about community-level sporting, okay, where we're not playing for the farm, all right? If you're able to remove that, for young people in particular, it's a fantastic thing to be a part of, you know, just in terms of communication and trust, responsibility, fitness, bit of cash in the pocket, leadership, um, making decision, um, that to- those types of um, traits and qualities that it develops in an individual um, is empathy for others, trying to understand and, and deal with different personalities. It's a really cool thing to be a part of. Um, so I think attracting umpires and people to have a go historically hasn't been the main challenge for mm. officiating. Retention's always been the most difficult. Yeah. And, and, and just like anything now, there's so many options with um, everything online and you know, blah, blah, all the same things that every industry faces. But I hope it does. I hope it helps. Um, because ultimately, when you finish, and I'm so desperately close to finishing so everyone can relax, it's just about done. Um, you want to have left it better than when you came. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Whatever I, that might whatever that might be. Yeah. 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 The umpires that you umpire with, what, what does a um, day-to-day look like? Because so many people are, are interested in what happens during the week. So you've got your training, obviously, at Carlton. I know you train there. But, like, the types of jobs they're in, who are these people? I know you've said before, yeah, we're all a bit of a – we're a bit weird. We're weirdos, the umpires. What what kind of jobs are you guys in and what does a, a day-to-day look like for you in a, in a week, Razor? Yeah, okay. Well, for, if I spoke more generally and then I'll speak about my week. Hmm. Generally speaking, um, there's uh, either a degree of leadership or a degree of high-level education that um, permeates through the, our AFL list, okay? So that we've got teachers, we've got lawyers, IT specialists, uh, professionals in network, accountants, mm-hmm. um, all those sorts of things, okay? And then we also have... Um, more trade orientated guys, and they're like they run all the people at the golf course. Like they're they're the boss. Right? Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like they're in yeah, positions yeah. of responsibility yeah. where they're trusted. Yeah. I think they're, they're that type of person. Um, in as a generalization, mm-hmm. um, and they are, and we are quite broad. But everyone's got another job or doing something or studying full time. There's no one that just umpires and does nothing else. I don't think that's uh, particularly healthy um, at all, and I don't think it underpins elite performance. So um, for me personally, I, um, I've i got a couple of things I do. I have a mortgage broking business, which I've had for nearly 16 years, 17 yeah. years, and I've uh, got a great team. Um, so Mondays are full on. You know, we're, uh, we're trying to clean up what happened and then obviously you've got stuff from the weekend where people have successfully bought an auction or, mm-hmm. or what have you. And so, right now, it's all systems go. And we have our, uh, our, major, our major collaborative meeting on, on, a, on a Monday afternoon um, is when we hook into that. So we give everyone an opportunity to come back and just see where the dust has settled after the weekend. Mm-hmm. For me, from footy perspective, I've reviewed my game by then. 
So I've gone back over my game. I've got to watch that. We have to log onto an online platform and provide our individual feedback that goes to our coaches. So is that the whole game you're watching every decision? Yeah. 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 Uh, And then, you know, it's not just about, um, you know, um, warranted free kick or missed free kick or you paid one that you shouldn't have. There's, Mm. there's, um, there's system behind everything we do. So, you know, clubs will talk about their stoppage structure or their structure behind the ball or how they transition the footy out of D50 or connect from one area of the ground to the other. Now we have similar sciences that underpin what we do collaboratively on the ground, right? So, you know, you've got 36 players on the field at any given time in a dynamic, fluid game with subjective laws and we're meant to be able to see every angle at every opportunity, right? Impossible. Yeah. But we do have a system where the three umpires are meant to work together. So, James, I could do something on field with my running pattern that tells you, hey, I'm, I'm intending to do this. Yeah. So you adjust accordingly, right? But then I don't fulfil my role. Okay, I don't do what I'm meant to do. And it leaves you hanging out to dry. And then there's this free kick error and it looks like it's your fault. Yeah. But really, it's my poor behaviour, okay, that contributed to you being left hung out to dry. So, you know, we win together and we lose together, right, as an umpiring team, more so now than ever. Mm. Probably since about 2017, 2018, you cannot umpire an AFL game on your own anymore. Yeah, you just can't. Hey, what so, do, sorry, Ray, I don't want to interrupt you, but what does yeah. a win? What does a win look like for you guys? Yeah. Well, <laughs> a win looks like us just getting the job done, right? yeah. which is you know an accurate implementation of the laws of the game um, and handling circumstances they present. I mean, really, the thing about being an umpire is you, you're just a witness. Okay, so you can't do anything other than respond to what transpires in front of you. Mm. So if you're not a bloke, well, I've got to report you, yeah. all right? <laughs> if you don't, there is no need for me to do anything, right? Yeah. So really that's all that's all we're doing is responding to what transpires in front of us. And then there's all the layers underneath that um, where we have to take our own personality type, um, our own mindset and strengths and weaknesses and manage individuals. So whether that be... Charlie Dixon versus, you know, somebody else who will have a different personality type, we then need to, you know, respond accordingly to make that work the best way we can. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so that's on a Monday. So we put all that feedback in and that goes in. And then you'll then, once that lands, you'll receive the coach's feedback. So they want to hear what you think about you before they start telling you about what they reckon, right? Yeah, yeah. Which I think is great. Yep. You'll have a read over that. You'll check some stuff. They'll have some bits and pieces that you might need to look at that you didn't identify or you might not necessarily agree or you need another look at. And then you book in a time and and, uh, and we go through it together okay. as in, on your individual performance. Mm-hmm. And then out of COVID, when we get to actually be together, we'll also do that as a three, so as a team. Okay, because of what I spoke about before, about those system-based bits and pieces that underpin mm-hmm. an elite performance um, from an officiating perspective at AFL level. And then we've got this wider overarching group coaching that we do, and that's every Tuesday. And that, at the moment, is via Zoom, has been now for a while. Yeah, yeah. And it goes for about an hour and a half, two hours. And that's all all things, decisions, it's... We 
we get guest speakers in, um, et cetera, et cetera. But then throughout the week, um, I don't have it here in front of me, um, but we've got the old GPS. Yeah. And we've got all our physical preparation that we need to undertake. Okay. So, so how many Ks like, do you have to do in preparation per yeah, week? Yeah. So again, like anything, it varies on the periodization. So if yeah. it's pre-season, we're getting flogged. Yeah. And and sessions can be up to like as ridiculous as 10 to 13 Ks in volume of any running in one particular session. So we have these heaven and hell sessions, which yeah. just I uh, so suck. And then um, oh, mate, I hate those. I was going, mate, I'm too old for this. Get rid <laughs> of the your, witch's hats. That's your strength, though, isn't it? Running? Running was always your strength. Yeah, it was, right? And then I yeah. got old. Um, <laughs> so, no, nah, running is on field running is definitely that's my wheelhouse. And yeah. Then, um, and then you have, and then in season now, you know, different individuals have different markers. So I know. Yeah. The strength and conditioning team know that if I run a certain amount of Ks in a certain zone, right, if I go beyond that, I get injured. Okay. So I'll be in a session flying, feeling great, and mm. all of a sudden I get the hook, whoosh, you're off. What? They um, go, no, 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 you're done. Um, but I'm feeling great. Yeah, we yeah. don't care. <laughs> you won't be next week. Uh, you're okay. done. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there's a lot of science, and that's from historical data and mapping those things and yeah. digging into it. Um, and I've found my last three years, touch wood, um, I, ha- I haven't had a serious injury. Mm-hmm. It's just not age-related, you know, um, in the last three years where I had a period of time there, mate, where like 2017, I, did, I didn't think I'd go get past it. Like I'd yeah. had tendon problems and it was just horrible. So um, so that's that's what a week looks like for us. There's also yeah. things like, you know, guys will get their own osteo and yeah. all those sorts of things. And then different guys have got different levels of skill practice they'll do. So blokes like me who aren't great, say, at bouncing, yep. I'll have an extra skill session in there where I'll be going and practicing that, whereas okay. there are some guys who are phenomenal at it, and so they don't have to worry about that, but maybe they're doing more work around the decision-making or okay. things that, you know, maybe I don't need to worry about so much because I'm good at that, you know? Yeah. So that's a week, and then you've got travel. And of course, you've got your family. Remember them? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you know, so it's it's a it's a it's a full diary. Yeah. Uh, it's a full diary, but I, I very much enjoy it. Yeah, that's full on. A lot of people have said that they think umpiring standards would be better if they went to full time. I think Alistair Clarkson suggested that you do a lot already, and you you talked about balance there. You don't think it would uh, make officiating better if it was a full time gig and that's all you did. So I get. I get a bit narky when people who have never been and observed our program make a comment about it. Yeah. So I'm not saying that they're right or wrong, right? Hey, well, like I'm open. Mm -hmm. Let's discuss. What I'm saying is if you haven't been there and you haven't seen it and you actually don't know for yourself what transpires, potentially keep your opinion to yourself. Yeah. So – Every umpire who's been elite, and I'll talk about the guys who I believe are elite at what we've done over the last decade. You'd have um, Simon Meredith is an elite AFL umpire. Matt Stevick is an elite AFL umpire. Brett Rosebury is an elite AFL umpire. Sean Ryan, who is a barrister, okay, is an elite AFL umpire. So what I can tell you about those people um, is that 
even though if you were to look at a person, you know, and you go look, it should go family, vocational pursuit, football in that order, right? It doesn't. Yeah. Right. Footy comes first, mm. and then everything else falls in around that. What are my footy commitments? What do I need to get done to be the best I can be at that? Terrific. When does it fit into my week? Terrific. What space is left? Discuss. Yeah. So what they're saying is though, and there's, uh, you know, what I, or what I, that's actually, what I um, believe they're trying to say is that are we putting enough time and energy and resources into AFL umpiring to support elite performance? Now, full-time isn't elite, James. I mm. worked as a school teacher for a period of time when I was young. Yeah. They were full-time. Yeah. And on yeah. staff, we had a wide array of yeah. uh, pedagogical prowess, okay, right? So there were some teachers that were the grouse yeah. and there were some teachers that were no good. Mm. They were all full-time. So we, I don't think people want full-time, James. Yeah. I think what people want is elite. Mm-hmm. They're not the same thing. So if you don't know what we're doing and you don't know the people involved and you don't know the inputs, don't make comment about it. Come along and have a look and help. Help support, show us the way, no problem. Different. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. I like that, Ray. Hey, I want to go back to how you started. Now, you started by chance, and this is an interesting story. So you just, you you went along to watch your brother play. You watch him play, 45 minutes in, a scout comes up to you and says, oh, you're pretty good at this, Ray. Yeah. <laughs> my mum, my I come home one day and mum was, um, Mum was upset, which is not normal in the yeah. Chamberlain household. And I sort of said, oh, you, you know, what's up? And mum had been at a conference all week. Mum worked in the public service. And at this point, she was with the Department of Health. And they had this course all week, which was um, empathetically entitled Youth Suicide, okay? And she said, every single slide all week has been your brother. Yeah, And she was right. Right on reflection, my yeah, mum was right. Yeah, is that your yeah. young, young, younger brother? Is it Brian? My youngest brother, Brian. Yeah, Brian, and, yeah. Uh, and Brian's great, mate. Got a good job, young yeah. family, killing yeah. it. He's fine, but he was having a shitty time there as a young yeah. teen. Yeah, and you know, you look at it now, and the hair was everywhere, and the clothes, and the disengaging with school, sport, community. Dad's mm. garden hose progressively getting shorter. Not quite understanding <laughs> how that was happening, right? <laughs> Whatever the case may be, there are a few signs, James. Yeah. Right? <laughs> And um, anyway, so she said, you need to take an interest in him. Yeah. And I was 17. He was 12. So we had, a, you know, we're in different phases. Yeah. So she said, go and watch him play footy. So I turned up. No umpire turned up. And the president of the club said, Ray, we'll fill your car with petrol. We won't let anyone hang any shit on you if you umpire the game. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. I go back and see mum and say, you still give me 20 bucks for petrol? Yeah. <laughs> she goes, I'm fucking that. <laughs> Commerce kids. Yeah. Um, and then I, um, yeah, and so I umpired the game. And this fellow, Bob Stacey, I, I still know Bob now. He yeah. uh, he lives in Coolangatta now, Bob. And um, he come up and introduced himself and just said, uh, you know, ask me how long you've been doing this for. And I sort of said, 45 minutes, Bob. But he said, mate. <laughs> You got to remember this is 25 years ago. He goes, You can earn six figures part time doing this. So Bob had my attention. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, it kind of went from there. 
Yeah, brilliant. Because you were a pizza delivery driver, weren't you, back then? Or? Yeah, I was <laughs> at school and uh, and I was working for Eagle Boys. Yeah, Eagle, Eagle Boys, Boys pizzas, pink T-shirt, mate. It was <laughs> it was, it was crook. Right. Hey, it takes all kinds, I think, to and you've said it yourself to become an umpire. Do you think you being the older brother? at home um you know you were kind of in control then you've had that 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 personality to officiate or or um or be an umpire do you think that helped and also i want you to tell me this story about um the fight you had at home and then you created a hole in the wall and this is one of the greatest <laughs> cover-up stories of all time yeah. all right so the, to the first point yeah the first point, i've yeah. never thought of it like that before and it's an interesting um it's an interesting perspective and i think Potentially, yes, there's, there were levels of those parts of responsibility. We grew up in a time where, you know, dad had three jobs at once. Mum was working full time. Yeah. We were all just primary school kids. You'd come home after school. Far out, I was responsible for the two younger ones. Um, you, know, I, you know, I remember cooking hamburgers for, you know, after school snacks and yeah. stabbing a knife through my hand and doing stupid stuff where... You know, we're too young, but that's yeah. how it was back then, right? Like that's just that's just how it how it had to be. So potentially, yeah, the, that that potentially assisted, you know, in and in, in terms of undertaking that role. I'll say this. So so this day, yeah, younger brothers, um, my brother, middle brother Peter's like he's just short of two years younger than me. Mm. Um, different sort of build to myself. He's a he's a more solidly built lad. And uh, and he's a lefty. And um, anyway, we um, we had we <laughs> we had some unwritten rules, right, in the yeah. house. So three boys, we punched on a bit, and that was fine. But you could hit each other as hard as you like, but no headshots. No headshots. Like, so we weren't allowed yeah. to punch in the face. Yeah. So we threw down this one day, and um, anyway, he's drawn the left back, and so I've seen it coming, and just sort of tucked up to where this punch. Mm. And he's chinned me like he's punched me in the face, right? And cut my lip. And I'm like, <laughs> and I looked at him and the look on his face, and I said, Oh, you're cooked, right? <laughs> and I chased him and he turned and ran, right? And I'm hammering out the hallway mm. after him and I grabbed him and we'll go a million miles and now we've just gone back <laughs> straight through this, straight through the wall. We've missed any sort of, you know, boom, bang, bang, yeah. Big hole and we're like, oh, Oh, man, and dad drove trucks and, you know, dad would go off his nut first <laughs> and ask questions later. And yeah, so yeah. we were like, we are in so much trouble. Yeah, yeah. So we started brainstorming how we might fix this in the, you know, two hours we had before dad was going to be home. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we run next door and spoke to the neighbours and said, listen, we are in so much trouble. Yeah. What, what can we do? And uh, the lady next door was a legend. And she goes, all right. She goes, my husband bought me this. I don't like it anyway. (laughs) So she had this this framed print. (laughs) Yeah. She goes, I don't like it anyway. You'd be doing me a favor. This is our secret, boys. Yeah. So she comes in and she hangs it over this hole, right? So, and we. How high was the hole, though? Mate, mate, it was like head height. And this thing was like a big, like long print, right? And it covered it like it was built for it. It was extraordinary. And dad, yeah. mate, as if he like he never backed or did anything yeah, like yeah. that. He just walked in, walked out, you know, mm-hmm. like he was working all the time, the poor bugger. Yeah. So 
it's sat there for 15 years, right? <laughs> 15, in the family I can't house. Believe it was 15 years. Not, not, not a word spoken. <laughs> anyway, we leave. I'm in Sydney. The boys have left. And mum and dad have sold their house. They're retiring. And they go, Dad takes this thing off the wall. It's a fucking big hole in here, right? Like this. Phone has lit up. <laughs> Who is responsible for this? <laughs> Mate, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, best ever. That is so good. I can't believe 15 years that took Mate. so so that you just said, oh, the neighbor gave me a gave us the frame. We thought, oh, look good in the house. Yeah, and she stuck up for us. She goes, Look, you know, Bob's <laughs> giving me this. It's I, I don't rate it, but the boys love the look of it and they said it'll look great in your hallway. So, you know, no dramas. Yeah, that's so good, mate. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was in, by the way, that was in Canberra and you eventually moved to Sydney. Um, yeah. You get the the AFL gig. Your, your official debut, I think, 2004, round 15, Hawthorne v West Coast. What Correct. do you remember about that day, your debut? Yeah, so... It was a um, beautiful day down there. And I remember, um, and things have changed now, but I umpired with Brett Allen, who's one of our Hall of Famer type guys, right? He's the GOAT. And a guy named Kieran Nichols, who was a former police officer, a really lovely fellow, Kieran. Yeah. And um, they were very experienced. And Hawthorne were just prior to them coming back into being, you know, Clarko and, you know, from Schwabby to Clarko yep. and those guys topping, that was sort of where they were at. And West Coast were the grouse, right? They had the, the rock stars in the middle and were just mm-hmm. unbelievable. Anyway, this game ends up only being one kick, six points, eight point game, right? Ended up being a really close game. But they, um, I remember we went for a walk in the morning, got a coffee, and then BA said, come on, we'll walk to the ground. Right, you know, because you, I was a big toey and all that. Yeah. And my be- and one of my very very best friends, uh, Simon Meredith, was um was on the bench. Yeah. Um, and we roomed together, and uh, I remember we so we walked down to the ground. I just remember um, my brother made the effort uh, to planes, trains, and automobiles to get mm-hmm. down there to see the game. Uh, my cousin uh, met us in Melbourne after the game, um, so he come down from Canberra and, to celebrate. Um. I remember Spider Everett and uh, Dean Cox in the ruck. That was hilarious. Yeah. Some exchanges there. <laughs> I remember it, that was that was quite interesting. I learned yeah. a bit there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it was just it was just a really unbelievable day. They were so supportive, and mm-hmm. then um, people in my life were really like were just really happy. Yeah, that's awesome. Did the, you said you're nervous? Then did the nerves get easier every game, or you still get nervous walking out there as an ump even these days? It varies. I, yeah. I um, if my body's well, right, yeah. and I'm able to physically do the things that um, that I know I'm meant to do, I'm pretty comfortable and confident about what's happening. You've got that performance anxiety where you mm. want to do well, um, but I have faith in. Hey, I've done the work. I've hydrated. I've rested. I've eaten well, and um, and I and I and I'm confident. I'll give great effort. Yep. So then it'll be what it'll be, hmm. right? Like there's not, I couldn't have done anything else to prepare. And then I'm trying my guts out. I'm a human being. It'll be what it'll be. And yeah. more often than not, over 350 games, despite popular opinion, done it okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I feel okay about it. 
but when um, you have things, and this happens more and more, mate, as we get further along, right? You get um, in, you get inhibited by certain things that are a little bit beyond your control, and that's when I get a bit more oh, far out. I don't yeah, know yeah. about today. This is yeah. going to be it's going to be a challenge. So, um, but I was real nervous for a long time. I'd, I'd vom all the oh, time, yeah? every week. It was horrible. I had to change oh, when geez. I ate, what I ate. Um, yeah, so all of that was just anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. was the most nervous you ever got your first grand final, 2010? Did you vomit before that game? Well, this is the this is the crazy thing, right? Mm. I remember it's a massive week. It's enormous, right? Um, whether it's grand final parades, functions, media, you get like literally hundreds and hundreds of text messages and emails and calls from people who are just... You yep. haven't seen since you were five. <laughs> you know, your footy coach, Mr. Minucci from WA, has sent an email to the umpires association. And mm. so you either ignore people, or which I think is crap, or you um, connect, respond, yep. show gratitude because those people are so happy and they've played a part in your life, right? Mm. And that's, but that's fatiguing as well. Yeah, that takes a lot be. out of you, right? Yeah. And I remember coming home on the Friday after the parade. And I was absolutely knackered, absolutely knackered. I just come home, spoke to wife for a bit. Mum and dad were there. I said, listen, we'll do this after the game. I've got to go to bed, man. Mm. (laughs) I'm knackered, right? So I hit the hay and did not budge all night. Wife coming to see me in the morning and sort of said, oh, how are you feeling? He's right, because a bit like you, she knew I'd get a bit toey about it. I go, no, I feel great. Yeah. Sunny day, it was warm. And she goes, okay. You, you can tell me the truth. Right? Yeah, fact, like a tough guy around me. I said, I'm serious. I I cannot wait for this. Yeah. But I do remember we're walking up to go out on the ground and you're sort of down and you come up the race, right? Mm. And you can see the top of um, the stands. And normally it's empty, right? Yeah. Right up the back there. But it, they were falling out of the back, right? And I was like, Jesus, there's a, <laughs> there's a few in here today. And you walk out and it's like, wow. But, um, yeah, I, it was funny. The first game, I, I so Brett Rosebury took the first bounce. Yeah. Yeah. And it was Collingwood St. Kilda's in the draw. Mm-hmm. And Collingwood get a centre bounce ball clearance and Jolly roars forward. Yeah. Right? Ball spills over and he kicks to the goal and it's like 22 seconds. So I, I'd gone into an end zone, just find your feet, relax, get into the game slowly, you know, 22 seconds, I'm standing in the middle of the ground with a hand grenade in my hands, got to bounce the ball in front of 105,000 yeah. people in the MCG, right? And uh, thankfully it went up straight. Yeah, yeah. I spent like seven, eight, nine, ten minutes in the mid zone. We, you do more than three and you're in trouble. Yeah. And I couldn't get out and I'm hearing around. And so it was a good, like I, I was away. Yeah, yep. you're immersed in it. Yep. Had a blowout and away you go. So no, I, that that day wasn't a day, wasn't a nervy day. That day was yeah. like I got this day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nice. No, I like that. That and then you obviously had the replay, and then you had 2019 uh, grand final as well. So your three grand finals. Um, umpiring changed a bit though, didn't it? Because at the start you obviously didn't have the mics. So now you, you're wearing that uh, uh, the vest underneath with the mic on it. Mm-hmm. Can I ask at the start, was it true that some players you were told, like maybe Heard or Buckley or Voss, hey, you, you don't speak to them? They kind of speak to you type thing? I think with anything in life, there's hierarchy, 
Yeah. And that doesn't mean that people don't have the same rights and you get one vote in a federal election and I get one vote in a federal election. So it's not about that. But there's, there's obvious regard that you have to afford different people in different parts of your life, okay? Mm-hmm. And it was made really clear to me, um, hey, listen, Harvey, Heard, Voss, Buckley, like, yeah. stay out of their face, right? Just, <laughs> yeah. just pay for a kick and shut your face. Yeah. And uh, and if they've got something to say, they'll let you know, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and that was fine. And so that was cool. And then everything else, you sort of figured it out as you went along yeah. with personal relationships. Um, and 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 they were like they were the kings, no, no doubt about that. Um, and they just got on playing. That was the other thing. Mm-hmm. You didn't need to tell them or say anything to them. Like they are the ones being tagged. They are the ones being targeted. You know what I mean? You didn't need to be saying anything to them. You just needed to make sure you were applying the laws of the game. But it was a different time. Yeah. So you know you were either a doormat or a doorman. There wasn't a lot of middle ground. So yeah, the banter was pretty full on. Yeah, I could imagine. Who who did you have the best relationship with? as a player yeah I, I knew some guys who i grew up with yeah. so like justin blumfield and craig oh. bolton and aaron hamill yep they came from where i lived mm-hmm. and so there was a there was a you know it wasn't like we're best mates but you know there was that sort of hey mate you know we're, we're kind of neighbors we grew up together we played with each other and against one another so that was all fine um but I, I always got along uh, well. There were always characters for every, different teams. Yeah, I remember Ben Hudson as an example, right? Mm. The people's beard. Yeah. Like, he was my favourite, always <laughs> was. He's such a good guy. I remember he played a game uh, in a final in the VFL for Werribee and he never got, whilst he was gruff and intimidating in that, he wasn't a violent guy or anything. Yeah. But this one day, from it was like from nowhere, and he's just opened up like a Swiss Army knife, and he's just charging blokes, and I was going, "What's happened to this guy?" You know, and uh, but he was always a ripper, and 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 obviously had a really, uh, really impressive career, mm-hmm. and so I always enjoyed his banter. He was more having having a crack at other blokes, and he'd include you in it. Yeah, you know, I'll raise a what's this bloke got in his hair and it's <laughs> stuck into him. You know, there's going to be a million people and you've got your hair like that. You know? <laughs> this sort of garbage all day. And it was, um, he was a ripper. So lots of, lots of good players from every club. Yeah. They all had a character or a personality in there that you'd resonate with, you know? Yeah. You, you once said that your worst call you made was uh, against Mark Murphy. Um, is that still your, your worst? <laughs> yeah. I'd, I, I had some howlers. I, I tell you what, um, that's that would have been a, like that was bad because I, I just remember looking back going because just the context of it all, you know, like mm. it was my first Friday night game, and back then that meant something. Yeah. So Friday night's the biggest viewing audience, and um, see, the games were kind of put into tiers. Yeah. So you'd have the big dogs that were playing at the top of the table. Yeah. You'd have another marquee game and a Friday night. And then you'd have the other games. Yep. And depending on how you were going, that's where you were appointed as an umpire, you know, on your ranking. It was very clear where you sat. A little bit different nowadays. It's a bit chocolato and then mm. you throw COVID in and, you know, it, it, there's no re- – it's just like, oh, you're in Queensland. You're doing a Queensland game. You're in Perth. So you've passed the quarantine. <laughs> you, you do the derby. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. all things have evolved. But it was my first Friday night game and I was umpiring with Darren Goldspink. And Darren was a pretty serious kind of guy. And I remember him just ripping into me before the game, you know, these guys don't like each other. 
ah, just pay for it, kicks. Don't take any shit, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking, God, this guy needs a sedative. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think anyone's going to have a shiv. We'll be okay. We'll <laughs> <laughs> be fine. But, uh, yeah, and, and, of course, you know, his point was be on, we can't, if you miss something because you're not intentional and mindful, mm. it creates a problem for us in these types of games. Yeah, he's yeah. right, you know. And of course, I I missed <laughs> I missed this obvious clunk in the head. But um, yeah, Murph went berserk, and he was only very young. Yeah, you know, we we're both very young in our careers, so he would have been eighteen, and he never got upset at umpires, and he ripped into me because it was yeah. so bad. And I just said to him, "Mate, you've got to move on. You've yeah, got to move on. You know, and, I got it wrong." So and he he moved on eventually, didn't he? Didn't he come yeah, up? Yeah, no, it took him a couple of years. I think it was the year after we were on a flight together, and I paid him a few free kicks. And that, he'd been targeted by the yeah. court. And I was chain, I was undoing my shoe or something. Yeah. And he tapped me on the shoulder, and I looked up, and he literally, I'm ready to move on. <laughs> Hilarious. That's all right. yeah, good. But great, like, can I say, like, what an unbelievable career. Yeah. How loyal. Um, and just in his way, like that's a really proud club with incredible tradition and where he sits, games played, et cetera, captaining the club. Um, wow, he it's what an amazing effort. Like, just that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I wanted to ask you on that. So, I know you, I know you have to go soon as well. You're a busy man, Ray, but I want to ask you, you know, from a player's perspective, what motivates them a lot of the time is, um, you know, a grand final or a premiership or even the accolades, you know, a brown level, that sort of thing. What motivates you as an umpire? Now, I know umpiring a grand final is is the biggest thing for you, but what motivates you on a, on a week-to-week basis where you get up and go, I want to do this this job, I want to achieve this? What What is it for you? Yeah, that's a great – That's I think that's a fantastic question because – I think that's a question you need to ask yourself and, and every every day, to be honest. Mm. Um, and it, it's changed, James. So initially I desperately wanted to umpire an AFL game and I wasn't convinced they were going to give me the opportunity. I came from New South Wales ACT and I came to the VFL and I was the out-of-town out guy. Mm-hmm. And to give you some historical context, there's been 64 guys and it's, they've all been men. There's, um, there's been 64 guys in the history of the game afforded the privilege of umpiring a VFL-AFL grand final. Mm. Okay, so over 150, 160 years, whatever it is, 64 only have done it, okay? And um, when I was on the VFL list, of that list of umpires that were there, there have been eight out of that list have been have umpired an AFL grand final. So it's a pretty handy, yeah. it's a pretty handy state league list, right? Yep. And we were all young, upstart, cheeky buggers, um, and we coached really well in mm-hmm. the best state league competition in the country at the time, is what we would argue. So back then it was about wanting wanting to get a game and and be get the opportunity to umpire in the AFL. I remember going to an Anzac Day game. In the VFL, you get these passes that get you into general admission. You can't do this anymore. And you just go up and you buzz it and you get you in. It didn't give you a seat, though. And, of course, in a game like Anzac Day, it's all sold out. So there's yeah. no free general tickets. And so I spoke to this guy um, who was, had the coffee cart. I said, oh, can I sit on, your, on the crate there, stand yeah. on the crate to watch the game if I buy coffee off you all day? Yeah. He goes, knock yourself out, mate. No, no drama. <laughs> 
this is the first big game that I'd been with the MCG and it was Anzac Day. Yeah. I just remember thinking, and I'd left home and left all my friends, jobs, everything to come and pursue this thing. And I just remember going, man, I want to do that so bad. I, I, I want to be out there. This is so awesome. And uh, so that motivated me to start mm. with. Yeah. And then you make the AFL and you desperately just don't want to get the ass. So, so, you know, that's motivating you. And I think, you know, I'm a competitive guy. I told yeah. you right from the start, I love sport, but it's not just competition, it's camaraderie. Yep. Yeah, like being part of something. We are all weirdos in, in our group. We we all on different parts of the spectrum, but I can tell you this about my colleagues. We don't all agree on all things. And I and thank God we don't. What what a boring, lame environment that would be. And um but what I can say about all of them is that I could go wallet, keys, phone, kid. I'll be back in 45 minutes and I wouldn't bat an eyelid. Like that's the type of people they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know anywhere else in my world that I could honestly say that. I'd be intrigued to know if you've got a place in your world that you could honestly say that, mm. right? So they're the type of people that you're dealing with. And I just feel so lucky that I get to be involved with them. Yep. They're misunderstood, grossly misrepresented and misunderstood as people. And um, it's the thing that keeps me coming back at 44, 45 years of age uh, is that when I toe the line, I've got to do heaven and hell sessions and get all this sort of stuff. It's because I, I want to be, I don't want to get butchered out on the ground. The game deserves better, the players deserve better, and the fans deserve better. They'll argue about my free kicks and all that crap all the time, right? And that's fine. And it's the subjective nature of the laws. Mm. It's why we get 100,000 people at the games, James. Yeah. So 50,000 people will cry ball, right, when we get rid of COVID. Yeah. And 50,000 will call back, right? And some Derek in the middle of the ground in a green shirt will call play on, right? And then 100,000 people, James, come together to agree on one thing, right? And that's I've got no idea. (laughs) But it's why we get 100,000 in the CG. And it's the best. Yeah. Right? So they'll they'll blow up about right, wrong, or indifferent. But the players and the game demand the best of me. And that's what motivates me leading into every week to make sure I have hydrated. I have got my sleep. I have ticked off my, my training. I've done all of those things. So, yeah, it used to be grand finals and finals mm-hmm. and Anzac days. I still desperately want to have a crack at those. And if afforded yep. the opportunity and the privilege, I'd be most grateful and give my best self. But I also understand it's not the 100 metres umpire and James. Mm. And what I mean by that, mate, is that we've got a range of uh, older guys and then these younger guys who are coming up now proving that potentially they're good enough to hold that spot. Yeah. So righto fossils out of the way. It's our turn okay. now. You know, they're, they're bashing that way down and they need to be given opportunity at some stage. Mm. And it's coming like right now, mate. Okay. okay. So for older guys like me, that then starts to become, okay, how do I feel about that? And how can I still be a good person and contribute and help? But put my ego aside and understand that I'm still valued and needed, but it might not just be in this role anymore. Yeah. And being able to see all that. But with the 100 metres, James, you know, you get athlete A will call him the same bolt, right? So everyone wants to be, you know, he's the grouse. And then you got athlete B, and we won't put a name on it, but let's say it's a renowned drug cheat, right? And so everyone's going for this bloke over here, and the gun goes, and they race. 
But old mate over here, he breaks the tape first. We all want him to win, but he doesn't get there, right? Yeah. The gold medal goes to the bloke that no one wants, no one likes, no one's going for, because he ran the 100 metres the fastest. That's not umpiring, right? Yeah. right? yeah. you got certain standards you've got to hit for sure, but then it's very subjective. Mm. Okay? And, 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 um, and there's so many different subjective things that go into the selection around that. And some days you're the hammer. And some days you're the nail. And it's actually part of being an official within this team environment where we don't win or lose. That's for the players. Yeah. And yet we've got our own little thing going on. And it's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. So probably the greatest challenge in elite officiating is being the best version of yourself when shit doesn't go your way. Mm. Right? Like that's really hard. We can all be the most giving, gracious, happy-go-lucky guy when you're getting the licks of the ice cream, right? But how do you treat people when you're getting a kick in the ass? Mm. And so, and so that's I think yeah. that's really key. And 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 um, you learn a lot of lessons about life and yourself uh, in this gig, um, and uh, and which I'm grateful for. Mm. You know, I'm really grateful for. Bloody hell! What an insight. Right. Hey, let's end off with 10 quick questions, mate. Go. All right. Bang. Favorite food? <laughs> A quick. <laughs> no, no, no. I love Indian. Indian. Yep. Good. Movie. Favorite movie? We <sighs> got point break. Point break. Yeah. Okay. Get him when he comes back in. Get him when he comes back in. <laughs> <laughs> If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? I think New York or Paris. Ooh, very nice. Uh, what's your biggest fear? So, here I'm old now, right? I, I don't want to let my daughter be. That's a good one. In whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Yep. What makes you angry? Yeah, when people don't give effort. Yeah. So, I don't mind failing, you know, in terms of coming up short or whatever. But if you aren't up front or you don't have a dig, I can't cop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the same. Favourite current player? Favourite current player? Oh, man. Lance Franklin takes some beating. Yeah, and your parents uh, love him as well, don't they? Mum, <laughs> if I don't say Frankie, mum will do one. Um, <laughs> and yet, you know, I love, you know, I love, I love Nick Smith. you remember Nick Smith this one? From Sydney, yeah. Yeah. Oh, mate, now I know he's not a current player, but, mate, how good was he? Yeah. Who beat him? He was quite, he was quite No a... one beat him. Mm. Like, and he never sucked up or anything. Like, it, was, it, it was so underrated. Mate. Nick Smith, yeah. He, the grouse, Nick Smith. Nick Smith. I love, I, mate, I love, I seriously had a man crush on Nick Smith. <laughs> Nick Legit. Smith. I, I am unashamed yeah. Nick Smith fan club. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. That's good. Uh, who's your favourite player of all time then? Mm-hmm. Not just current, of all time. I think um, I think Cyril. Cyril, I, yeah. I just and and Gaz. I remember, I remember Gary Ablett. Um, he he did this thing in the grand final against Hawthorne in two thousand and eight. I was behind the goals with my cousin, who's a mad Hawthorne supporter. So I got him tickets, right? And um, I remember Chance Bateman and someone else tried to kill Gary Ablett at, yeah. at this contest. 
And by all means, he should have been squashed. And he zigged and he zagged and he did and he went and he whipped and he come out the other side with the ball and I was just like, sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, like, unbelievable. Gaz was the man and Cyril next level. Yeah, brilliant. Um, if you could officiate any other sport in the world, what would it be? Yeah, I wanted to, um, I got challenged by a mate. He said, go to the NRL. NRL, yeah. He goes, do it. He goes, do state of origin, like do a grand final. This is after 2010. Yeah. And because he knows I've got a rugby league background and passion. Yep. Yeah. He goes, mate, you can do you can do that to your 60. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> run anywhere. He goes, mate, you just like, do, do, do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, try. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but I reckon um yeah, I, I think I think that'd be the one. Do it doing a state of origin or a state grand of final. origin yeah. would be good. Yeah, nice. Uh, which player, past or present, gave you the most lip? Oh, peerless, Peter Bell. Peter Bell. Yeah. <laughs> you have to think. <laughs> the most competitive human being in the history of the world. Really? And I don't know much about Peter other than off field from afar. He's yeah. just been so incredibly successful and obviously educated and leadership and just had you know, on field, captain of a footy club, players association, president, premiership player, like... Can you get any more decorated? I'm not sure you can, yeah. right? Like, but my God, would he ride you like a beaten favourite? <laughs> really? Oh, oh yeah. No idea. There yeah. you go. All right, last one. You're a big Paul Kelly fan. What is your favourite Paul Kelly song of all time? Deeper Water, I would say. And it wasn't until I started getting a bit older and then you understand exactly what he's saying. You go, my man. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. I love 100%. it. Razor, you're an absolute champion, mate. I cannot thank you enough for coming on today. You've given a huge insight, hopefully inspired a lot of people. I really appreciate you, mate. You're a champion. Hey, James, thanks very much for the opportunity. Um, I really appreciate that, mate. Congrats on the gig. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Brilliant. Thanks, Razor. Bye. Right, here we go, fellas. I've missed that music. Uh, it is time for my second favourite part of the show when I introduce you boys, the Monday Review Panel, on a Wednesday. How are we? Awesome, mate. Awesome. There's always uh, that pause because Nick doesn't know whether to jump in first. I should say, well, Nick, you go first. Yeah. How are you? Sorry, I didn't get my cue, but <laughs> no, I'm going good. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks for asking. Still no uh, mic. Still no microphone. Been asking you for, what, months now? No microphone. I thought I thought that was something I received on the show from you. I thought you provide that sort of uh, stuff to your guests. But yeah, no. Okay, maybe for next season. Maybe for next season, or maybe you should just go out and buy one and just claim it back on for the business. <laughs> That's all right. Gordo, how are you? All mic'd up. Yeah, all mic'd up, ready to roll. And, uh, you know, not too bad, not too bad. We're still in isolation, hence why we're missing each other's cues. We wouldn't do that in the studio, but, no. you know. We're working things out. We'll be ready for finals next week. Straight in there. No buy week. Straight in the rest there. Of the wicked, which is good, you know. We need that to get through lockdown. But, uh, you know, always going to talk some footy. And, uh, you know, things are a bit tense, it seems, though, across the digital sphere there. Things are they? Like, I don't know. Nico seems like he's ready to, ready to roll. Yeah, he ready to launch. Why is it about the Tigers? Yeah, go on. No, no. No, I've got nothing to say. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. the last week, so I'm like Gordo said. I'm happy that uh, there's no finals pipe because I think that would 
wouldn't be ideal in lockdown. So it'll be yeah. good to watch it. It'll drive people mental if there was no footy on for a week, I think. That's right. And the only reason Nico hasn't given it to me about the Tigers yet is because I sent him a nice little bottle of Prosecco and uh, Aperol Spritz for his birthday, which was two days. Was it two days ago, three days ago? Uh, yeah, two days ago. Two days ago. A little strategic thing by you. Yeah. And I did enjoy that, so thank oh, you. Oh, did you? Did you actually have a, have a, have a Spritz? Mate, I cracked it open as soon as I, oh, beautiful. I received it. Yeah. So big happy birthday to Nick. And it's good. You're not going to mention the Tiger. No, we'll mention him later on. But first, <laughs> I want to hear, Nico, who your hero was of the weekend, which seems like a lifetime ago as we mm. record on this Wednesday. Yeah. My hero for the weekend was Caleb Sarong. Yeah. Uh, obviously for his goal of the year contender. And I don't care that it went out of bounds or anything. Uh, or oh, in the lead up. Imagine if that happened against the Hawks. You've been filthy. I know. I know. But like we've seen in previous years, there's been a few anomalies with our goal of the year contenders like Jack Higgins. So I'm <laughs> like, I'm just happy. Like that goal was incredible. The top moment, of the, I mean, the game itself, the yeah. derby, uh, it was a close match. The timing of it and the position where it was at, it was uh, the impossible goal. So, yeah, mm. he's my hero for the weekend. Yeah, it was brilliant. So it was the call from Anthony Hudson as well. I thought he got the commentary spot on, and we normally have a go yeah. at commentators, but yeah, Anthony Hudson and Adam Papalia as well. Yeah, how good was the atmosphere? It was unbelievable. So it made the margin from 6 to 12 points and all but sealed up the game, really. But I think it was more, not just the goal, which I think was goal of the year, unbelievable, but it was the player who kicked it because he had a phenomenal game. He won the award as well for the, for the best on ground. He kicked, what, two goals. Uh, 31 disposals, and there was no Nat Fife, no Andy Brayshaw, so we had to step up and, yeah, stuff it. It went out of bounds. Who cares? Great goal, great moment in Derby history. Gordo, who was your hero? Got two heroes. A quick little shout-out hero from the – they both come from the Giants-Tigers uh, game early oh, in the yeah. week. And uh, first off is Tim Taranto. Yep. Everyone basically said no green, no giants, no finals. And Tippy Taranto said, nope, I'll fill up those those uh, Toby Green boots and did just that. Kicked four, filled his boots, a couple of cheapies towards the end of that second quarter. But the start, <laughs> the first quarter, I said that game, that game was dead. You can mm. mark quarter one, round 22 is when the Richmond dynasty died. Dynasty? And, uh, it's gone, is it? It's finished it's, forever. It's, it's, well, te- yes, it's gone. It's it's gone. And uh, I'll get to that in just, <sighs> in just a well, moment. Wait. But Tim, Tim Taranto, absolutely phenomenal player. Yeah. Had a rough year last year, as we all did with COVID. This year, he's bounced back and basically has played in any role or any any position he's needed to and did it on the weekend. Predominantly midfield last week, he looked like an absolute stats stats pig. And then mm. this week, he went, no, I'll go into that hybrid half-forward midfield role, playing that Toby Green and that Patrick Dangerfield in that Dustin Martin role and uh, dominated and Hopefully he'll uh, he'll kick on into the finals in a couple of weeks' time for the Giants if they get the job done on the weekend against Carlton. But yep. as we've seen, anything can happen. But as Strong I said, performance, yeah. Tigers dynasty is dead, and it's a sad oh. thing. <laughs> so are you guys going to congratulate me for scratching off the Tigers like halfway through the season? Halfway. I mean, you're you you both you were both ripping into me for scratching them off the premiership list. Yeah, I've been proven correct. Quite you have been proven correct. A lot of people have. I had too much faith in those in those tigers. They didn't turn it around. But I think everyone was, was everyone thought the same thing, but they're too scared to say it because every season the tiger there's been a line put through the tigers and they've turned it around. But it was just too too much to do uh, this season. But the dynasty, Gordo. So you think even next season there's no chance for the tigers then? 
Well, I think so because there comes a time where can you can you go again? Like you know, can you can you go again? Yeah, Josh Gibson on on your podcast midweek saying you know, thirteen was the best win for the Hawks because it wasn't expected. They'd been to the top a couple of times, didn't quite make it, and then that kicked off their dynasty. But I think Richmond's been there, done it now. And when Legends, who is my hero this week, actually is is uh, Mr. Asprey, David Asprey. Yeah. Um, start retiring, then how do you fill that role? Who comes in and, and fills that role? And mm. I think, if anything, you can take this moment to kind of just enjoy it. Like, if the dynasty's over, then what a dynasty it's been. Like, you've had your three and four. Richmond's, Richmond's done done their deed. They've had they've created players and a culture like that where a person who is still so young can speak so eloquently about his time and give thanks to literally everyone. Like, I've never met or seen a more humble player that's been that successful at, at a club and especially how far that club has come like Richmond yeah. in our era in our lifetime hasn't been this successful club we're not a Hawthorne that did it in the 80s did it again in the, in the 2000s we're not Geelong that's been winning stuff since the same period of time not a Collingwood that's always been in grand finals it's a club that was in disarray and then this generation of players should be celebrated and I think the more or the, like the less flashy of them the Aspreys of the world deserve a lot of the praise because they're the ones that they're the engine room that gets it done and builds it on and off field. So they do, yeah, they do. The and he does speak very well, doesn't he? I, I really enjoyed his words after that, that decision that he made during the week. Well, he made it previous, but obviously the mm. season was over. So we had to make that decision. But I think also Asprey, you look at back at the start of his career, he kicked three goals in his first game and came across as a forward. And then he wasn't wearing the number 12 then. He was wearing number 39. He thought, oh, here we go. This could be the next Richo. And then uh, he went, he had some injuries. He played in the back line and he was always, he was someone you never, it never he never stood out. But in that in that year, like 2017, when it started to click, him alongside with Dylan Grimes and Alex Rance were the trio that really stood tall in the back line. And he was a strong part of the successful years. And yeah, he's the first, like he's the first one now who's kind of other than Rancy that's kind of hung up the boots. And then there's only Sean Grigg, Allison Townsend who aren't part of that, that 22 who won the flag in 2017. So it does feel like a few people are fading out. And yes, there are a lot of players that are over that age, but I don't know, Gordo, I still can sniff. They might have another chance next year. I'm not ready to put it a line through the dynasty yet. Can I just keep faith for another So you think that this is more Geelong than West Coast, for instance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what West Coast did. They went to the grand final, went, we look sweet as, and then have had a slow, slow, and now very rapid decline in the last three years. Yeah, that's right. No, I think there's still, you look at the age demographic and there's no reason why they don't have one or two more years to have another, another crack. But um, yeah, he did. He had like something like fourteen surgeries throughout his time, David Asprey throughout his career. Like he had, he was battling with injuries, and he had that last ankle injury, and it was just the, or the Achilles, and it was like yeah, times up. The body couldn't couldn't take it. But he's come from from nowhere, and um, when he started off to becoming a, a real Richmond man that Dimmer loves. So yeah, well done. He was my hero as well. I enjoyed that. What was your highlight, Nico? Uh, my highlight was Clarkson's send-off in Tassie. Of course it was. My many, God, we knew it was your highlight too. You couldn't miss it if you have Nick on Twitter. You could not miss that that was the highlight of the weekend, I'll tell you what. And what a fitting way to leave Tasmania than with a, with a quote-unquote Clarko masterclass. Again, <laughs> another rich, another Hawthorne win equals that. It was all about Clarko. Well, I mean, they absolutely did do it for him. It was all about him on the on the weekend. Obviously, I mean, Clarkson's been the coach for um, 
oh, yeah. for like almost 20 years now. And Hawthorne's been in Tassie for almost 20 years too. So I mean, Tassie we've sort of always been together ever since Clarkson's been at the club, you know, he's been playing games down at Tassie. So there's always going to be an emotional day. And I think, yeah, getting the win was very fitting. And uh, yeah, the scenes after the game with him just, you know, hugging the Hawthorne boys and um, receiving the gift from, um the Tassie guys as well. I think, yeah, it was just, it was very emotional from a Holland supporter. And that was probably the first time it hit me that, uh, yeah, that we're actually going to be losing Clarkson and mm-hmm. kind of made me think that, you know, are, are we really making the right decision here? Well, well, only now you've thought that. <laughs> well, now. I mean, like there, there obviously comes a time when, you, you know, you got to move on, you got to have a fresh start. And I, I'm not fully against that, but, um, you know, now you see about, I think there was an article on the weekend that 10 AFL clubs are now um, inquiring about Clarkson. And or have, have inquired, who have at least mm. picked up the phone to call. And yeah, say, yeah. Uh, what are you, and, do, what you are know, doing next year? We, we've got him and um, when we're letting him go. So um, Haw- Hawthorne this year has won more games against top eight sides than anyone else. Yep. Yeah, yeah it, those upsets are good, aren't true. they? And at the start of the season, I also said, I'm like, oh, six games will be um, is a pass mark for us. And I think, are we seven or eight at the moment plus a draw? Um, so it's an A plus yeah, plus. They, they've exceeded my expectations, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, seven and a draw. Yeah. Daniel Howe as well. It's not just about Clark. It was about Howie as well, who I, I wrongly wrote down as um, Will Day which you, yeah, you picked me up on my mistake. Um, but I did enjoy his game. Um, unbelievable. Career best for Daniel Howe. But also, also, what about Burgoyne? 100% efficiency with disposals. That's not bad from Silk. So I don't think it was just about Clarko. There was a lot of... Uh, yeah, Silk as well. Yeah. yeah, Silk as well. Daniel Howe was good. This is a second consecutive upset and, and a few of they've, they've done a few this year like Gordo mentioned so not too bad I think they're playing for Clarko it'll be interesting next season as we yeah, said I think some of, a lot of them including Howie as well is uh, playing for their contracts there was obviously a lot of um, out of contract players heading into this season and you know heading into the last few rounds I think a lot of them are playing for their spots with a new coach coming in as well who'll be bringing the axe with him so, um, Nico, just a, a, a one-word uh, answer, sorry. yes or no, does Hawthorne beat Richmond mm-hmm. this week? I mean, it forms anything to go by, yeah. It's more than one word. Yes, but, yes, I mean, done. despite Richmond, despite Richmond supporters uh, making excuses about having a long injury list, oh, uh, you still got that premiership calibre. So, you, technically, I'm in no position, really, to be expecting wins from a young, inexperienced Hawthorne side. Against the reigning premiers. So Although you did say yes, and you are pretty confident. The queue is in the rack, Nico. Enjoy the win on the weekend, mate. <laughs> Richmond started Hopefully. tanking Hopefully. already. Yeah, the Richmond's tanking. Gordo, what was your highlight? My highlight was Frio keeps the dream alive. So we're very Your game. dream as well. Mostly my dream, not their dream, because their yeah. dream is still very un- unlikely. But at the start of the season, I said outrageously that Fremantle will make the top eight yeah, and that win in the Derby proved that they were ready for it. And they will, and they will probably regret mistakes they made this season because they should be in the top eight based on that performance. Yeah. Like they, they proved they, they, they overcame some of their own um, mistakes on the weekend. So coming into that round, they were the worst fourth quarter side in the competition 
And again, it looked like they were going to let a game slip when they shouldn't have against the Eagles on the weekend, and they yeah. and they held strong. Basically, for the first time all year, they kind of gritted it out, and you could see the desperation. They knew an eleven-game losing streak was on the line here, and they and they finally knocked it off. So, mm-hmm. I think good steps. Even if they don't make the eight this year, good steps for for next year. But it will be a missed opportunity to play funnels and grow that experience. But it can it can happen if yeah. If they win against St Kilda in Tassie on the weekend, and that's a yeah. big if because they don't travel great and they still don't travel that great, but they have improved that yeah. this season. They beat St Kilda, yes. And Collingwood beats Essendon on the weekend. And we did mention previously last week that the the the, the most hurtful things happened to Essendon supporters after the drug scandal. And so the most hurtful way to miss out on finals this year mm-hmm. for an Essendon fan would be to lose to Collingwood in the last round of the season. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that that's true. They'll, they'll finish seventh, actually, if the Blues beat the Giants as well. Maggie's mm. beat the Bombers. Lions beat the Eagles. Bang. Then eighth, like you said, if two of those things happen. We're really expecting Carlton to win, though. No, I'm not. Uh, I don't think they make the eight. No, so... but, without, but even without Carlton, all they need really is, yeah. Yeah, to scrape in. Yeah, that's right. Collingwood beat Essendon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's true. And yes, they have a lot, a lot of injuries though this season as well. So, and a lot of ones that they're, they're, they're kicking at goal this year has been horrific. So if, if they had to kick straight, they might've crept in either way, but yeah, like you said, the future looks bright. I love Justin Longmuir. I love what he's been able to do and the youngsters there as well. When, when they're missing the big stars, these other ones have stepped up. We saw Caleb Sarong was just one of those examples. All right, Nico, you're pessimistic. You're very negative. Bring us down with a low light. My low light. Very optimistic when it comes to Hawthorne. I'll take that back. (laughs) No, my low light was Carlton's attempt Mm. at an effort for Mark Murphy's farewell. Yeah, that was. Obviously, it's the complete contrary to what Hawthorne did for Clarkson in Tassie. (laughs) (laughs) That's the 74th Hawthorne mention already. I'm keeping it. No, in all honesty, I mean. We, we talk about these games where, you know, milestone games or farewell games where you, no matter where you are on the ladder or your form, you know, the group should be getting up for these games. It's a, you know, talk about spiritual and whatnot. Um, yeah. I mean, I thought Carlton were just awful after half time. obviously zero goals to Port Adelaide's 13 or something like that. I mean, where's, where, where's the effort? I mean, Mark Murphy, a legend of the club, um, going out a bit too early, potentially. Now, Eddie Betts as well. I think he spoke last night that um, uh, that when he was speaking to the group, sorry, that he thought he could go on another year. So we'll see what they can do this week for him. But I just, I don't know. I, I thought that it was a poor effort from Carlton. So, um yeah, and I was asked the question during the week, actually. Um, oh, would you – sorry to bring Hawthorne up again. Don't dip, 75. <laughs> no, sorry to bring it up again, but someone asked me, oh, do you prefer to see Hawthorne win um, in, you know, late in this season and lose their position in the draft? And I, I just think winning is, you know, priority. Like draft picks, no matter who you're going to pick up in the draft – I know they're going to be good, but uh, winning is priority because this is what happens when um, you can build a losing culture. And I think that's what Carlton have right now is that it sticks with them. It's it's like a permanent stain. Wooden spoons are a stain on the club. And, yeah, I, I think um, it comes back to bite you down in the long run. So, mm. yeah, yeah, it, was, it wasn't even a loss. It was the, the bloody 19 
consecutive goals they conceded. <laughs> like that is unheard of. That is ridiculous. Mm. They had a great start as well. What are they, 22 points up or something like that? Well, about started, four yeah, the first quarter was decent. And then um, they just dropped away. It was ridiculous. And like you mentioned about the milestone, I mean, these these games are important, especially when you're hanging up your boots and the past players talk about it. These are the ones you have framed on the wall. Like that was my 300th game to your kids, your grandkids. Hey, what happened in that game? Oh, we got done by 95 points and conceded 19 unanswered goals. They really looked after me. I mean, bloody hell. Like you look at someone like Mark Murphy, who's been as loyal as they come, um, and, and sticks with this group. He was a captain of that club. To let him down like that, it was it was embarrassing. And yeah, that was the low light. One of the low lights of the year, I reckon. And it's synonymous with the Carlton culture. You think like the way they've treated Teague, the way they've the way they've approached the review, the way they try and fix their problems by bringing in a, a hero coach like they did with Malthouse way back in the day. Like they don't for a, for a club that is so integral and storied in the history of the VFL AFL. At the moment, they're a club without culture because that's, as you said, like a club with culture doesn't let that happen on a milestone game. It's okay to get beaten by Port Adelaide. They're a better side than Carlton this year. But as you said, it's unacceptable to lose in that fashion on an important day for an important person in your club. If you have respect and, and like, I don't know, just like self-worth for each other. And they, and they clearly don't. And yeah. they clearly don't. I think, again, like it, it stems from losing games way back down the track um, to get draft picks and that sort of thing. Obviously, I mean, how many number one or top three picks have Carlton, you know, recruited since Mark Murphy? Mark Murphy mm-hmm. himself is a number one pick and they've gone nowhere with it because, you know, losing is part of their culture now. Yeah, hey, we might talk about Carlton briefly later on because there is a question from a listener. Uh, first, Gordo, what was your low light? My low light, and this is this is going to get slightly negative, but I feel like now that the end of the Typical. dynasty, Richmond dynasty is there, there's no standout team. But it's not exciting. It's not because we have like four or five blockbuster teams going for it. So no standout like, in the top four or anything? Not a win Geelong? No, I feel like every yeah. week we go, oh, yeah, they're the ones. And like, so Melbourne had it for a while and then they, then they well, lost Well, you do. It. You like to flip-flop and so does Nick. That's the point because there's no real teams at the moment. That's that's really that. Only these teams are actually that good. Any I teams? Are I reckon. Five. I reckon. I think there's good teams, but there's no great teams. There's no, and this will be a bit of like a 2016 premiership for mine. There's no, there's no absolute standout team this year, which is a bit sad because it I means it's less good. I feel, you know, I, mate, I feel Geelong's the standout, and I've been strong with them from the start. Nico put a line through They're very high in the top as well. They, they've lost Pardon? games that they shouldn't have. They're, they're still, they've still been consistent with with results, and like I said with Geelong, sometimes they can um, lo, like they can play at the level of their opponent. The only issue is now is obviously Tom Stewart's injury. That's my only concern about the, about the Cats. But I think I put them ahead of everyone else. So I think Geelong can win win the flag and they should win the flag. But we, we were talking about earlier in the season, there was the, the Bulldogs and Melbourne. And I think this is Gordo's point is that they, they, they're stumbling come the end of the season. The, the Bulldogs look a shell of the side that they were at the start. And even their ball movement is, is um, you've seen that through the ball movement and also they're converting inside fifties and that sort of thing. Yes. They lost Josh Bruce and had Alex Keith out for a bit, but still, I mean, they've dropped off considerably Melbourne as well. I mean, they're on top of the ladder, but still they don't look like they were at the start. And 
I don't know. What about Brisbane boys? Because you you laughed at me last week or the week before when I said I'm not sure you put a line through them yet because they've still got some quality. They're starting to play well come the end. So yeah. who's your pick? I think, but I think almost the point now is that you could have almost put a line through everyone. Like that's what I mean. There is there is no like usually you mm. look at a team of a football uh, a football season, you know, 23 rounds, and then you go, yep, there's two or three absolute standout ripper teams. That would be an awesome grand final. Hope, fingers crossed it happens. So you put in last year long though. Like I don't know a moment where you go, no, Geelong can't win it. It's, it's not that Geelong can't win it, but it's 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 more like which team is going to lose this like loser opportunity as opposed to which team's going to win it. I feel like everyone every time a team is being challenged this year, they've stumbled. Whereas there's been no team really assert their dominance this year. Which is just a bit sad. So Geelong, they they've lost against Melbourne, they've lost against the Dogs. I think they've beaten Port Adelaide. I think. Um, yeah, they have. Yeah. So even their form against the top four teams isn't great either. So I'm not putting a line through them, but it, I, I think it's just going to come down to who can peak at the right time of the season. And we probably shouldn't be riding off Port Adelaide at this point either because their uh-huh. their form over the last few weeks. Yeah, but against who, Nico? You can get. Sometimes we can get sucked in, especially with Port. Like they, 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 their win on Saturday was what their twenty-first consecutive victory over a bottom eight side. Well, that's who they beat. The, the bottom sides. We haven't seen them against top sides. Yeah, I still don't that, believe that's in fair Port. Enough. That's yeah, fair I, enough. I, I just, I feel Geelong. Like that's, I don't know. I'm feeling. Well, I'm feeling Geelong. They're a contender, that's for sure. They are they one are. of six. One of six. But this is like I remember in 2017. This is my fifth Richmond mention of the day. Uh, not as much as Nico's Hawks, but that season felt like Richmond just peaked at the right time. They came. They had a good run coming into it. No one really. Everyone was picking Adelaide, and Richmond yeah, won. But that's so but that, that's also my point is that Adelaide was the was the peak dominant team that season. Like you felt like it was Adelaide's to lose, and then it makes a great story. It mm. makes a great story because then the underdog versus the dominant force. Will the dominant force win? Will they win? A yeah. great story. So it's it's negative, that, but isn't it a good thing? That's a good thing. No, isn't it doesn't it? have that great story. It's kind of like, oh, everyone can win. And you know, That's probably you, better, need, you need your Golden State Warriors sort of team. Yeah. No, this is better because the NBA can is, win it. But it's not. But NBA is the perfect example. So this year's NBA finals was two average sides battling it out at the end of the year. It's not Cleveland Cavaliers versus Golden State Warriors. Like, mm. like it's yeah. it's it's not that it's not that it's not that narrative that we all lust for in in lockdown. At the moment, it's just it just feels like more home and away games. All right. So on that, just one word answer: Who is winning the flag this year? Gordo first. Just give us a team. Melbourne. Nick. Um, I'm stuck with Melbourne for a long time. Just more than one word again. Melbourne. Stick. Okay, Melbourne. Melbourne. I'm going Geelong. Bang. Cool. All right. Let's get some tweets and emails. Dario Casale. This is a good one, boys. Uh, he he emailed in and he often does. We thank Dario. If you were the head of the AFL, would you rather have a grand final of the MCG with 50% capacity or full capacity in Perth? Perth. Perth. Yeah. Perth, full capacity. Yeah. Well, we saw an awesome preview for yeah. it on the weekend. So it has to be. It has to be there. Even just from like a, a health a health perspective, it's just no no stuff. The health perspective, have... just the, in a perfect world, Gordo. Like, what, I mean, what, come on, what 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 will the atmosphere be like in a fifty percent capacity? Know, it'll be like remember when they were MCG. doing the redevelopments on the MCG um, when yeah. they were renovating, and half of the stand was pulled down. It was a bit, but it was still a grand final. It was, it was still a full house. Given it was a full house, but they could. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, I think, well, the fact that Richmond isn't in it as well, maybe, yeah, send it to Perth stuff. <laughs> no, I think the atmosphere, you really can't beat a full full house, can you? Yeah. I think it needs And even to for the players, like if they held it in Perth, well, they have to have all the restrictions. If they go in there to a two-week bubble, they can probably like get out and about and enjoy the week a bit as well. So I think yeah, everyone probably. involved. They're, yeah, I think, I think Mark McGowan's going to make, make them all get vaccines before they go there anyway. So there'll be a few hurdles to jump over before that happens, but it'll probably be in Perth anyway and and Mm. it'll be a full house, hopefully. Uh, Matt from Oakley, he emailed in. He said, I've got this gut feeling Carlton will keep Teague. I feel maybe Clarko will have the year off and Teague will finish out his contract. Do you feel that, boys? Who do you think's winning this race? Teague's dead, dead in the water. water. Yeah, I I believe... Clarkson will have that year off and Carlton won't pursue him. I think they'll end up with maybe Ross Lyon. Ross Lyon, maybe. Mm. Yeah. 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 I don't think they're not, they're not hanging on to T for another year. And he's basically already admitted that in the media saying things like this environment's not conducive. Like if you don't have job security, you can't perform correctly. Once they start, once coaches start going against their own board, and we saw it with Nathan Buckley as well, they know they're out. They just don't know when. Did he actually so said, I mean, I didn't hear that comment. I heard the comment where he said it doesn't help his result when they asked him, hey, did, mm. uh, what about the result against Port? Does that make you worry about your job security? And he said, mm. oh, well, it doesn't help. I mean, he's not that confident. So we, there's actually an email that came out today from Luke Sayers, who's the new um, uh, president of the Blues, who took over from Mark LeDuge, and he sent it out to all members. And he said that it's reaching the final stages of this review, and he promised that he will summarise the findings and release them. Um, to the fans first and then the media. There'll be leaks, so we'll find out what's going to happen. But I feel that David Teague is not going to survive, um, and especially when <laughs> performances like that at the weekend. They're not even, um, you know, honourable losses anymore. I think if the, if the players really wanted to keep, whether it's a subconscious thing or not, I think the effort improved. They can't defend. They need a coach that can come in and and help them defend, like give them a solid structure. And this is just the. Um, but this is, and you see all the memes on it at the moment on all the AFL meme sites. Is that this is just the classic Carlton cycle of the last decade and a half? Is that they'll they'll really. come in, the coach will focus on defence, and everyone, all the fans will say, "Where's our flair? Where's our attacking? Where's our high scores?" Then they'll focus on that. Then they'll kick some hundred points a couple of times a game. Then they'll start losing. Then they'll sack their coach. And I'll do it all over again. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it, and it just goes on in this cycle because everyone wants that success that that came years ago. And like guys like Mark McClure as well and, and John Nichols, they go, oh, you need some tough bastard in there. You know, we had 20 years mm-hmm. of rubbish and that sort of thing. What they need is someone who can connect with the younger boys that are there. I mean, the culture is different. You just need someone who can get the results. And it's so hard because you just don't know now. What, what they do and we're not involved in the club. No one really knows what happens behind the scenes there. And until this review comes out, like they need, a, they need a, a fresh start, whether that's the, you know, the board's cleaned out and there's a new kind of uh, mission statement a vision for this club and that sort of thing. And you'd say, well, David Teague's the man, he can take this group or you clean it out and get a Ross line in there or, or, a, um, or a Clarko. I don't know. I, I'm honestly not sure. I think, I think Clarko is still a chance, but I think there's more chance that Ross Lyon gets the gig now than there is Clarko. So mm. I'm not too sure. The last one here, comment from Frankie. Uh, actually, quickly, can I just mention that David Teague's record is not that bad. He's had a lot of bad luck as well with with injuries and that sort of thing, where Charlie Curnow's won and so is Matty Cruiser. But his record, he's got a 48% winning record. 
And the best of the last 20 years was Brett Ratton, who had a 50%. So his, his winning record is better than Wayne Britton, Mick Malthouse, Dennis Pagan, John Barker, Brendan Bolton. All that says is that they lose games. more games than they win. Pardon? He's had All less games than some of them. Yeah, no, but that just says that Carlton have not been very good. That doesn't make him a good coach. Good no, coaches are, very good, are coaching above 50%. It's the losses that are the bad. Like, it's not just there, yeah, the win-loss. That's that's right. It's the losses that have come have just been horrific. Uh, yeah, Frankie, he wrote in and he says, I'm still waiting for an apology from Nick. He's going to write in every week, Nick. You're going to give an apology to Caroline Wilson and to Sam McClure <laughs> oh, and Tom Morris. I was waiting. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's not going to come. Uh, the only thing I can apologise for is I'm sorry. You guys uh, don't allow a man to have his own opinion, so oh, you can't accept that. Hey, he's writing in. I'm not pushing this. He is. So that's he fine, just wants that's that fine. apology. You can keep pushing. It's not coming. So there you've heard. You've, you've once again, Nico believes that Caroline Wilson and Sam McClure just got lucky, made up the stories, and it was all false. Which is fair enough. That is your opinion, Nico. You can have that. And everyone at home listening can have their opinion. Hashtag the gym session. Please get involved. Boys, any last words to our loyal listeners? Uh, go the Hawks. <laughs> Stay, Stay safe. Nothing. Stay, Stay safe. safe. Stay safe. Get vaccinated. Mate, mate, <laughs> if we win this weekend, we're only going to finish two points behind uh, the reigning premiers. So look go. out. Nah, don't worry. Tigers are ready for next year. 2022 premieres, guarantee it. Thanks, boys. Go to Tigers.